Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode... Pigeonholing prospects and ask me questions if I was confusing. And there's something going on tonight on Twitter with one of my loyals that I can't get a basic point across. I'm just being absolutely horrible tonight at communicating basic ideas. So you know what that means? Let's do a podcast and try to explain something that's not very basic. Think about a capital T, a capital T. So you have, what, about six inches at the top going across, six inches, something like that. You get a little uh, nail pounded into both sides. So you have two um, nails on a six-inch piece of wood. Something like that. Doesn't have to be six inches. Doesn't have to be a piece of wood. We're just going there for now. Then you have another piece of whatever it is you're using. Balsa wood or maybe it's a two by four. I don't know. But you have another piece of material going down to another bit of a nail. Then you have another piece of material going down to another nail. Then below that, you have another nail. Or no, you have another piece of wood. So you have six inches at the top, strip, then a nail, strip, then a nail, then a strip. Go through it one more time. Six inches at the top, nail on the left side, nail on the right side. Strip down to a nail, strip down to a nail, then a strip. And some of you are thinking, what the heck does this have to do with the Cubs pipeline? It, it has a lot to do with it. I just got to play it out. So you have a, the equivalent of a capital T. You have two nails at the top, one nail a bit below the two at the top, one nail a bit below the one kind of in the middle, and then a strip down beneath. Do you have the picture? I hope so. If I'm explaining better than what I was explaining on Twitter, possibly you have that fairly well under control. So in effect, you have four nails. Two of them are equally spaced apart from each other at a higher most level. In between, you have one other nail Down below, you have one other nail. Now, what we're going to do now is hypothetically represent that Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are the top two nails. They are on a similar plane because I'm going to put them as very similar players as far as team value. Some will say Chris Bryant was better than Anthony Rizzo. 
for the Cubs, more valuable, better, whatever you want to put it, more popular, more valuable, however you want to phrase it. Some will argue Rizzo was better than Bryant. To me, they were very similar, although they had completely different traits. Completely different traits, but Bryant, in my view, was probably the better player. Rizzo was probably the more... Um, was probably the better leader. I'll put it that way. Now, again, some of you are, oh, no, you got it wrong. I think they're really similar. I think they're really similar over the longer haul. Um, both had some injury concerns. Both got hit by a lot of pitches because teams realized, hey, if we hit them, it might hurt them. And it wasn't being punished. So Rizzo and Bryant are rather similar in my universe. Now, you might take issue with it and say that one of them ought to be significantly higher than the other. I'm going to say they're about the same. They're about the same. Those are the two top nails. The secondary nail, kind of about halfway down, would be, would be Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber was not as good as Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant. However, over any course of any specific period of any specific season, it could be that Kyle Schwarber for a week or a month or maybe even two months, Kyle Schwarber might be better than either Bryant or Rizzo, possibly both, because that's how baseball works. You have players who are on hot streaks and you have players who are on cold streaks. If you have a good player who is in a hot streak, he is better than a fantastic player who is possibly on a cold streak. Sometimes, maybe. So, at the top, you have Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo in whichever order you want to put them. Midway down, you have Kyle Schwarber. Then a little bit further down, you have Albert Almora. And then below Albert Almora, again, you have another strip of material. So at the top, you have a six-inch or so piece of material representing Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo being really good at baseball. Next down, you have Kyle Schwarber, who was generally fairly good at baseball, but not as good as Bryant or Schwab or Bryant or Rizzo over the long haul, though he could be for a short period. Then below that you have Albert Almora. Then you also have a strip below Albert Almora. Okay, now you have the visualization, you have the explanation of everything. And you're still think thinking, uh, all right, uh, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Because those are basically players in the past. What does this have to do with anything? The Cubs have six offensive-minded players atop their prospect list. Six players atop their prospect list. One of them who has the most, oh, how would you put it, seniority, I guess, because he's closest to the major leagues, is Brendan Davis. Then also you have Owen Casey, Pete Crow Armstrong, Reggie Preciado, Kevin Alcantara, and Christian Hernandez. You have those six. You have those six I have no idea how any of their careers will play out. Now, perhaps you're smarter than I am. 
perhaps you're coming back from the future, perhaps you see into the future, or perhaps you're just flat out smarter than I am, and you can tell me with relative certainty where on that T board any of those six players will fall. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I will say this, though. There are definite potential, there's a definite potentiality for each or any of those players to fall anywhere on that T or possibly even above the T. Anywhere on or above the T. So let's say, for instance, uh, Reggie Preciado ends up being better than Kyle Schwarber, but not as good as Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo. See where you're looking? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're looking at that one swath of material between the top two uh, nails and the third nail, which is about halfway down. If one of the players is not as good as the top two, but better than Schwarber, then they would fit in there somewhere. Let's say that Brennan Davis ends up being as good as Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo. General ballpark, general ballpark. Doesn't have to be exactly the same. Generally somewhere in that range. Then you would put him somewhere on that six-inch strip between the two nails. Any of those players can theoretically be anywhere on or below or above that T. Anywhere. Anywhere. And there's a possibility, a likelihood for each of them to end up in any of those spaces. I'll be honest, there's a perfectly legitimate chance that some of those players, of those six players, there's a perfectly legitimate chance that some of them will not be as good as Albert Almora. There's a definite possibility. It's not what we're sitting here waiting for, hoping for, but it is a definite possibility. If Kevin Alcantara isn't as good as Albert Almora, then he would be on that portion of the T below Albert Almora. So now what you can do, now what you can do, now, now what you can do is figure out in your own mind if you... I like the percentage thing. I really like the percentage thing. I was looking at the pregame board between uh, when Tottenham was playing Leicester City this week. I don't know enough about the teams. I don't know enough about the players yet to know which team is better, except by looking at records. You look at a record, you get a hunch, it might be accurate, it might not be accurate, but it gives you some information and you lean toward that. Well, what I did was I jumped to the gambling line. I jumped to the gambling lines. I wasn't going to bet. I just wanted to see before the game started, what was the likelihood of 
Tottenham winning, of a draw, and of Leicester City winning. I don't remember what the specific numbers were. But according to the gambling before the match started, Tottenham was either going to win or draw 71% of the time. 71% of the time, which means seven times out of 10, they would get out of Leicester City with at least one standings point, which is the goal when you have a road match. You want to at least get the draw, win at home, draw on the road, you're fine. Nobody's going to mess with you when you win at home and draw on the road, then you're fine. It went into extra time, and Leicester City led 2-1 to one in the 95th minute. Yes, in case you're curious, there's only supposed to be 45 minutes and a half, but there's penalty time. So at uh, Tottenham scored a goal in the 95th minute to tie the game, to tie the match, to draw the match, and then scored another just a bit over a minute later to win 3-2 to two in a stunning comeback. So they ended up getting not only the point for the draw, but they got three points for the win. So I was happy, obviously, because they got the win, they got the points, etc., etc., etc. But not only that, the betting line ended up being good enough for me. When you think of the specific players in the Cubs pipeline at the top, Brennan Davis, Pete Crow Armstrong, Kevin Alcantara, Owen Casey, Christian Hernandez, and Reggie Preciado. Those six. You're looking at the T-square. You're looking at the T-square. There will be a percentage of time for each of those six players. Each of those six players that they will be beneath the Albert Elmora area. There will be a specific percentage of the time in your universe, in reality, and in, well, that they will be just about like Albert Elmora. Then there will be a certain time for each of the six when they will be between Elmora and Schwarber. There will be a certain amount of time for each of them when they will be about as good as Schwarber. There will be a certain amount of time when they will be, certain percentage of the time, when they will be better than Schwarber, but not as good as Bryant or Rizzo. There will be a time when they will be, there will be a percentage where they will be basically as good as Bryant or Rizzo. Then there will be a percentage of likelihood for each of the six that they will be better than Rizzo or Bryant. Ours is to assess what is the likelihood on each of those results for each of the six players. I can't do it. I'll be honest, I can't do it. I brought the idea up, but there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to tell you that the percentage between 
Schwarber and Almora ought to be 17% for this guy and 19% for this guy and 11% for this guy and 14% for this guy. But realistically, when we think of the players, as we start to get to know them better, right now our information is garbage. Right now our information, we have nothing. We might have a little bit of information on Owen Casey. We might have a little bit of information on Pete Crow Armstrong. But most of the rest of them, well, we have a decent amount on Brendan Davis. But for the other three, we really don't have anything. Preciado, Alcantara, Cristian Hernandez, we really don't have a whole lot. We really don't have any information to assess whether they will be better than this guy or that guy or the other guy. Heck, you can throw in Javier Baez if you want. Wherever he would end up, and people would argue on that one pretty much for sure, probably. But, um... As we discover players, discover more about players, then we can start getting a better hunch on this guy will probably be better than this spot on the board. This guy will probably be worse than this spot on the board. However, if you are walking in right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, saying you are reasonably confident that any of those four players, any of them, I mean, any of those six players, if you are reasonably confident that any of those six players will be in the above Kyle Schwarber or better categories, if you think any of those six players are going to be better than Kyle Schwarber, I hope you're sharing. I hope you're sharing. Getting that good at baseball is really, really difficult. Some people like to do the after the fact, oh, well, I thought this guy was going to be such and such good. Be careful of that. Be very careful of that because it's very difficult to get extraordinarily good at baseball. One thing that happened with Chris Bryant, teams began to get a bit of a book on him. And while he was still good later, teams realized if they pitched Chris Bryant up and in, up and in, up and in. And by up, I mean up and in. I mean either very up in the zone or very inside to possibly including hitting him in the wrists. That was a successful way to pitch to Chris Bryant. And it was. Once pitchers started pitching, you know, 95, 96, 97, 98, and up in the zone, that worked very well against Chris Bryant. Very well. Very well. And Bryant didn't really respond to it very well. If teams start to get a, teams will start to get books on all players. All players, as they go along, oh, this guy has trouble with the curveball. This guy doesn't hit a slider very well. This guy doesn't hit left-handers very well. This guy has trouble again. Whatever it is, players get books on them. If you are walking in thinking any of those six players are going to be better than Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo, you're probably wrong. That said, with six players under discussion... It's very possible that one of those six 
could end up being better than Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant. But if you're thinking that any specific one of them will be, you are probably overrating that player severely. If you want to figure out how well a player is going to do on into the future, check to see this season how they're doing in the current day, in the present day. If Reggie Preciado is better than the players he's up against, if James Triantos, I don't think I mentioned him, I must have said Preciado twice. If James Triantos is better than the players he's playing against, if Owen Casey is better than... Then after a while, you call him up. You move him higher. You move him higher. You move him higher. Whoever it is, if someone is better than the talent they're playing against, then you move them up. But until they show they are better than the level the level that they are playing against, you don't call them up. You let them learn. You let them take their lumps. But once it gets to a point where this player is wasting his time at this level, then and only then should he get called up. Prioritizing pigeonholing players can sometimes be a difficult thing, a dangerous thing. But if you have a mechanism drawn up like the T that I have described and your job as a fan is to, well, if I'm going to assess Reggie Preciado, if I'm going to assess James Triantos, if I'm going to assess Pete Crow Armstrong, what percentage of the time am I putting them below Albert Almora, above Kyle Schwarber, but below Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo? You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven entirely different regions. Seven entirely different regions. As you go along, as you start assessing, put percentages in those slots for each player. Do not put, this guy is going to be better than Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo 70% of the time because that is not likely. When I hear people after the fact saying, I thought that so-and-so-and-so-and-so was going to be a superstar. I have to shake my head. I have to shake my head. There's a possibility it might happen. It's perfectly fine to, I want this guy to do well. I want Caleb Killian to be a lockdown starter for 15 years for the Cubs. I want that to happen. Do I think that will happen? Under no circumstance do I think that will happen. It would be nice if it did, though. As you assess talent, players are going to whiff. Players are going to whiff, and you won't know it until it starts to happen. Hey, he's doing really well at low A. Hey, he's doing really well at double A. Hey, he's doing really well at triple A. Ugh. He's not doing that well at the major league level. Sometimes it happens. And it's not a case of this guy flopped or he was a misfire, or this specific coach did a bad job. Baseball is a tough business. There are a lot of really good baseball players, and there will be on into the future. 
if a player doesn't turn out to be as good as you were hoping, that doesn't mean he misfired. It may mean you overrated him. Thanks for stopping by. I'll be back soon with another podcast. Have a great week.